With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On this week's Ludini Rock and Roll Circus, we will break down everything that you need to know about one of Rock's greatest debut albums of all time, Core, by Stone Temple Pilots, reminded us of our love for the great classic rock of the late 60s and early 70s, during a time when the world seemed to be taken over by the grunge movement. If you haven't listened to it lately, don't worry. We're going to take you through it track by track. Stick around. Get ready to rock out with your talk out. It's the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Everybody, who's ready to rock out with their talk out out there? Her day. Everybody is. I know that the hawk is ready. He's already rocking out. Uh, so we are. <laughs> you're back with the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. My name is Lou Lombardi, aka Ludini. We have the full power trio in full regalia today, guys. We've got Keith the Hawk Hawkins. What's up, Hawk? Hello. How you been, bro? I got something to tell you. Uh oh. I'm a poet now. You are? Yeah, now here's my poem for today. From New Orleans to Poughkeepsie, by the end of the show, I may be a little tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> All right there, Hawk, the new poet, poet laureate of the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Over here and in the right corner, wearing the Mistress of the Dark t-shirt, the gorgeous scarf, and the... Per- hair with the purple hi- highlights is Lily V6. What's up, Lily? I'm sleepy. What? You got to wake up. I know, but I'm still recovering from the weekend, yo. Would you like some more? Uh, I'm drinking English breakfast with like, with uh, Knob Creek in it. Would you I like some? I guess I would nap if I did that. Okay. So. <laughs> You're drinking, what is that, a hot toddy? Yeah. I'm just saying. I told Lily before we started, I started getting into tea this week. And uh, I'm really yeah. enjoying it. So... I said, let's, instead of, uh, I mean, I brought down the ice and everything, but I thought, oh, I'm going to try doing a little tea with my uh, were with you my into, Were you into tea on Friday? Is that what you were drinking Friday? I was teetotaling on Friday. <laughs> so uh, we, had a, we had a really great week. Before we get into all that, though, let me give a shout out to Wolf's Customs. Wolf'sCustoms.online. Great job that they do, guys, with your musical instruments out there. They can take, no matter what you play, they can do it awesome custom finish on it something that nobody else has even you know they're known for hollow flash but even the hollow flash each one is a little bit different so no two are exactly alike you get a really cool uh finish on the guitar that stands out your guitar your bass whatever that stands out to really make you uh uh you know put on that great show you know by having an instrument that really gets people's attention not 
you know, we want them to, you know, you want to make, uh, uh, get the attention with your playing, of course, but by having a great guitar, it just takes it to the next level. Talk to uh, Chris Thunderwolf Dotson at wolfscustoms.online. Shout out to Rock Rage Radio uh, for carrying the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Those of you listening on Rock Rage, don't be afraid to hit us up at lulombardirocks.com. You can get all kind of more information there as well. Uh, as Lily was mentioning, we I had was. a big weekend. We did. And uh, it was a big celebration with Lily. Lily is a uh, jock on Rock Rage Radio, and she is uh, 200 and some shows now, right? 200. It will, well, it, is, it will be 200. Okay, so we're cel- We celebrated it early. But. Okay. Okay, so 200 shows with Lily. By the end of the year, it will be 200. Awesome. And so we had a big uh, rock festival. for. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, three days of rock and metal. Uh, we had vendors there. We had bands, obviously. We had food. It was insane. I didn't sleep. Who needs to do that, apparently? But it was a lot of fun. Everybody did great, and I have to thank the Subalpine for hosting and everyone who helped out. During the show, and who came to the show and had fun because I think we needed it, honestly. It was uh, it was it was a lot of fun and great fellowship with the other musicians. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Tim Dover Spike, uh, his band Unbroken Soul. <laughs> his band. Let me hold up the CD here for those who watch doing the video portion. Unbroken Soul, uh, great. They did a great job, and Tim's just a cool guy. He's been a fan for a long time. We really enjoyed hanging out with him. It's a good record. You want to check it out. Unbroken Soul, and uh, also shout out to the band White Thrash. They, <laughs> those guys were a lot of fun. Just, to, just to, exactly what it sounds like. That's exactly. They the sounded name, amazing that the, night yeah, too. Yeah, the, 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 the name of the band fits with their style of music and LA. Really good player, very tight band. Uh, front man, I do not, I do not get everybody's name, but the, their front man was put on a good show. It was funny as hell. Damien. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> we had a good time. So those guys were awesome. Everybody was really cool. Um, so yeah, thanks to everybody, and uh, shout out to my band, uh, Jared and um, Drew, uh, Smooth Gooch. We had a really good time. It was our, uh, our our second show. We play one show annually. <laughs> That's it. So the last show was at the Subalpine. This show was at the Subalpine right. about a year ago, November. Yeah, <laughs> about that. And um, so hopefully we'll do it again next year. And I want to just say to all the bands who did play, there will be photos. First Angel Media, uh, Jonna and Josh both took photos. So those will be out soon. So we'll tag you or you can tag yourself. Sweet. Uh, Hawk, how you doing, brother? What's going on in your life? Anything new other than uh, being tipsy and Poughkeepsie? No. Um, I recorded some songs about three months ago for a guitar player that I play you know, on, a, on occasion with. And he is a pretty decent songwriter. He writes a lot of, like, a pop, lot of country pop stuff and... Uh, one of his songs I recorded on got picked up by Warner Brother, like a Warner music label yeah. out of Nashville. So they're gonna put, they're gonna like shop it around to uh, some of their stable of artists. So I was on the drums on that song, so that makes me probably equivalent to maybe off to Florida one day. <laughs> now congratulations! Yeah, the, man, at the end of the cool. day, that don't mean shit. I'm just gonna recorded it re-recorded anyway so well dude I'm, it, it's it's something man it's a it's that little it's a pinky toe in the door let's put it i that can way. say that i laid a foundation at a, at a like a very brisk do you, 78 beats per minute do you think that if now i know we're just kind of bsing before we get into the topic but do you think that if the if the guy starts doing something and people are you know touring becomes a thing maybe part, you know later on next year that you might you could be invited to you know, participate in something like that. Maybe go doing some doing on the road a little bit, or I doubt it because the guy that wrote the song is not going to be actually re- singing the song. They're going to actually they 
bought the rights to the song, uh, and they're basically going to shop it around to somebody that's actually on their in their label. I got gotcha. you. He's I, not on their label. He's just trying to do some publishing shit. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Right. So it was just cool to be on something that actually was heard by somebody that might actually know something. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, do you are you guys ready to talk about Stone Temple Pilots? Sure. You guys, into that? I don't sort of see thing? why not. You know why? Because you know what I'm going to do. That's what I'm here to do. Is talk about STP. STP, not the not the motor oil. <laughs> right. Speaking of that, it's got an oil change today, so this is so very unique. Ah, that, yes. Right, right with it, hand in hand. The minivan with it, the minivan got the oil change, and now I'm talking about STP. <laughs> I don't think it, it was STP motor oil, though. So let's I digress. Go ahead. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, we're talking about the album Core. And Lily, why don't you kind of just give us the sort of basic background of the album, just the sort of the quick overview. Word. Core, released September 29th, 1992. So I was around when this one was released. <laughs> so I do remember when it came out. Uh, it was recorded in a matter of five weeks. The band decided to name it Core, referring to the apple of the biblical story, Adam and Eve. So yay. Certified, certified eight times platinum by December uh, 2001 making it the band's best-selling album of all time. It shows the band's attempt to revive the album-oriented music approach of the 1970s. I sort of agree. doesn't sound like a grunge album to me because, you know, I don't like grunge. So I will disagree with anybody who says that. Um, it had mixed reviews. Um, are we going to talk about that later? You want to talk about that now? <laughs> right. This is a, uh, a sort of non-grunge album that came out during the grunge era and got unfairly judged, I think. Uh, my first sort of... I mean, I liked the record when it came out, but the first thing that, that this shocked me, I was watching Saturday Night Live, and David Spade made a joke about Stone Temple Pilots saying, yeah, I like this band better when they were called Pearl Jam. <laughs> and I was like, What? In my mind, to my ears, the only song on the album that sounds like Pearl Jam is Plush. That's the only song on the album that I think kind of fits the sort of grunge, post-grunge kind of sound. I think the rest of it just is basically sounds like a good rock and roll It's a little more upbeat than grunge, so I can't call it grunge. Um, yeah, it, they, they, really <laughs> had that, they really had that rock and roll swagger of bands like... Guns N' Roses or Led Zeppelin, that, that they sort of had that thing going on. That the, the grunge bands sort of, you know, really kind of were trying to shy away from. Um, they did songs like Sex Type Thing that, you know, sort of were a throwback to that kind of, um, I don't know the word, the, the correct word that I want for this. I saw, <laughs> so I'll use a, uh, a woke term uh, <laughs> w with these sort of rapey lyrics. <laughs> That uh, you know from from you know more like the you know the the lyrics if you read the lyrics now uh, Scott Weiland said it was more about you know criticizing that macho my, uh, frame of mind but really lyrically it reads like a Motley Crue song <laughs> right well one critic said that sex type thing could be Mike Tyson's rape defense <laughs> transcribed then, into transcribed into grunge rock in any case so it I. It is all killer, no filler, with the exception of one song. There's one song that I just think is BS. But uh, we could talk about that a little bit later. Keith, you want to weigh in? Just are your overall yeah, I thoughts? Think, um, I, I'm going to discuss this, you know, in any sort of detail. But I think that this this uh, album 
is very good. I think that the band was from San Diego or Southern California area. Yes. So I think they got, I think that record record labels like to lump people in with what's already popular just to market it better. Um, they had, from what I read, they had, they had full uh, creative freedom on this record, which goes to show you why some of the, the track listings a little odd if you want radio airplay. But I mean, it's, we'll get into that too. Um, I do think that they are Led Zeppelin with Jim Morrison singing. That's what it sounds like to me. Oh, yeah, he definitely Scott has Wyland, Scott Wyland has a very Jim Morrison sort of like, even Mark Bolin glam rock sort of like uh, approach to things. If I've seen STP once, seen Velvet Revolver once, he definitely has like that, you know, kind of, he got a throwback kind of style when it comes to his stage presence. Um, the, the DeLeo brothers are probably underrated as a, you know, songwriting duo. They're very good at what they do. I think Dean DeLeo has a definitely Jimmy Page crush. Um, the band has a very Led Zeppelin-y kind of sound. They use a lot of cool, a lot of cool chords and a lot of cool uh, melodic things in our songs. Um, I do think that this album, top to bottom, is is pretty damn close to like a masterpiece. I've listened to it twice in the last three days, and I think that I, there's not a song that I really, other than a few of them, that just get too much radio airplay. I'm not saying they're bad songs. I'm simply saying that, that that there's three or four singles off this record that have been overplayed. I mean, you know, which are pretty, you know, everybody knows those ones, but it's like, and they're great songs, but I think that a lot of the songs, the filler songs on this album are actually the better songs. And I think that um, the more you listen to this record, the more it grows on you. And I want to give a tip of the hat to one of my favorite rock and roll producers, Brendan O'Brien, because this guy had his hands all over this and you can tell that he just knows how to get a great sound. And for a personal note on this album, Eric Kress, the drummer, plays GMS drums. When I heard this record, I had to have a GMS drum kit, so I saved my pennies and traded in two other drum sets and got a GMS kit. Um, I'm really glad that you mentioned Brendan O'Brien, Keith, because this is a, a huge part of this album, and I would like to kind of just go through a little bit of uh, what Brendan O'Brien has worked on. And some of these records may be heard of. Drops, yeah, this dude's, uh, he got crazy, crazy resume, man, but go ahead. Drops of Jupiter by Train. I love that song. Uh, 100% Fun by Matthew Sweet. Mirrorball by Neil Young, which was uh, Neil's sort of uh, uh, big kind of comeback during the grunge era. He worked with Pearl Jam. Uh, Jackal. Yeah, they, were the backing, they were the backing band on that album, yep, they? Yep, Jackal. Um, the Jayhawks, Hollywood Town Hall. Temple, he mixed Temple of the Dog. He's a producer on King's X's Dog Man. Papa Roach, Love Hate Tragedy. Riot Act by Pearl Jam. Binaural by Pearl Jam. Yield by Pearl Jam. Evil Empire by Rage Against the Machine. Maybe you heard of that one. Um, Super <laughs> Unknown by Soundgarden. Maybe you heard of that one. Which now, is a freaking masterpiece. And uh, not necessarily the producer lines, but either mixed producer or and or engineer, sometimes doing all three. Um, more more recently. Oh, I didn't even know he did Black Ice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, more recently, <laughs> he did Black Ice with ACDC, Kill Switch, Kill Switch Engage, um, Seether, Holding On to Strings Better Left to Fray, The Killers, Battleborn. Rock or Bust from ACDC. Um, and I want to kind of mention this record that um, when we talked about disaster uh, songs, this whole album is about 
a uh, big disaster, which was 9-11, and that is The Rising by Bruce Springsteen. The whole album is kind of the soundtrack to that period in American history and produced by Brendan O'Brien. So... So the guy, what? He's got a pretty good resume. I'd say he's qualified. And Keith, I got to tell you, I got, I got, I need you to comment real quick on this. That snare drum sound on Core is, I mean, it is very Bonham esque. It is yes, really. I mean, amazing. I think he. I don't, you know, it's I never amazing, really read in dude. depth of what he was doing, but I think he probably used, like most drummers do, they use several snare drums for that. But I mean, if he was, if he was playing the GMS drums, that could have been. Who knows how many snare drums being used, but I mean, the sound of that recording, the sound of that kit made me actually want to buy a GMS kit, and I think that um, that still went on to this day, and it still sounds great. When I heard, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go through track by track here in a second, but um, when I heard Dead and Bloated, and I heard that, that's, that pump pump when that kicks in with that snare, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. That, but, but that is that very reminiscent, that drum sound. And that's Brendan O'Brien, you know, working with Gretz to get that sound, getting that Bonham-esque type thing. And I, that just drives that whole record. Anytime that snare hits, man, you just, oh, man, it just puts a giant smile on my face. It's amazing. So let's go through them. Let's go track by track, guys. And uh, let's do it. Dead and bloated. Keith, go ahead. Yo. Give us your thoughts first, bro. Okay, so when I, the first time I heard this song was actually when I seen Stone Cold Palace open for, of all bands, Megadeth, at the old Civic Arena. This band wasn't nothing when they come out. It was their first tour, and I was just happy to, like, I was there with some friends to see Megadeth in my metal years. So it was basically, who the hell is this band? They're not even a metal band. They're coming out. He came out, and he sang into a megaphone, I am smelling like a rose, you know, and doing that whole thing. And the band just bursted into that big snare, those double, that double snare hit into Dead and Blood, which was the first song on the record and the first song they did live. And he used that megaphone to get that effect, which I read each sang into the guitar pickup for that effect in the, in the studio. But it's just one of them songs that just, that's just straight ahead rocker. It's a kick-ass song and it's a great way to start an album. Um, I just love the whole like breakdown and it just has a he was I guess him and Eric Kretz were in a we read this whole the same thing from Rolling Stone they were in a coffee shop and just hanging out and like bouncing lyrical ideas off it you know so it's you know he had that I am smelling like a rose and somebody gave me on my birthday deathbed whatever the hell else he says and just goes from there and the song is just a straight ahead rocker I don't think there's any other song on that album that could go first that yeah. one just that's duly you know it's it's where it should be in the uh in the pecking order of the song so it's, first is definitely uh then bloated that's that's a good opening trap because it just comes out and it definitely hits you like a sledgehammer uh to uh, just to kind of do a little guitar nerd on everybody live he he did the mic megaphone and i believe did they did they do that with velvet revolver did they play because they did some Stone Temple Pilot songs with Velvet Revolver as well? Yeah, I, I think they he did. did it. He also did it. He, he also did it on, on Cracker Man too. Yeah, you know, but so. but on the album that is not that's not what he's doing. That yeah, is Dean. That's Dean right? Yeah, that's Dean DeLeo's guitar <laughs> cranked all the way up through a giant Marshall amp, and that and that's Scott singing into the guitar pickups. 
That's what gives it that sound. That is absolutely amazing. I think that's a first. I don't think anybody. I don't even think the Beatles did that or Led Zeppelin did it. That is a total first and done by Stone Temple Pilots. It is just such a kick-ass song. Lily, you, want any, you got any info on that you want to share? I with have us? a memory from it from uh, X Fest in 2000. Sure. As this song came on when they started performing, I was peed on by a drunk gentleman next to me <laughs> in the lawn. So that's how I remember this song initially. <laughs> so that sucks. <laughs> However, was Scott, this is a little was, getting peed on song. Was it? Was his name? Was his name R. Kelly? Was it R. Kelly by any chance? No, it was a skinny white dude. No. Was it? Was right. the guy? The guy wasn't dead and bloated, was he? He wasn't. He was drunk as shit. He was though. drunk and bloated. <laughs> um, drunk and pissy. Yeah. So that's that's my fond he memory. He was bloated with piss. He had to let it <laughs> that's out. That's my fond memory of the song. But um, when I was reading some interviews with Scott, he said it wasn't really about anything, more about a vibe because at that age he didn't have any life experience yet. So that's what I have on that. <laughs> right. But that's my beautiful. Memory of that song, <laughs> insane riff, just heavy as all get out. It w- and this is a really ex- good example of how you can be he- sound heavy without being metal. You know, there's, oh, for there's, sure. There's a, we, there's, a, there's, a few, there's a few songs on this album that I think that I, I think we should, get, should do a pod- I think we should do a podcast on <laughs> the heaviest bands that aren't metal. That'd be fun. Because 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 what's that's a, that's future podcast. Let's let that stew around in your head a little bit. But yeah, Dead and Bloated uh, opens the album. Absolutely amazing. What's the next song, Lily? Sex type thing. What? what? Their debut single. Never heard of it. <laughs> of course you haven't. <laughs> um, their video had tons of rotation on MTV. Um, Scott Weiland wrote the lyrics after a girl he was dating was raped by three high school football players after a party. So I guess it is about rape. Um, like I said, very rape. But it's an anti-rape statement, not a for-rape statement. I think this confused some people, <laughs> <Yeah>. especially <laughs> because the grunge era was all about you know rockers were now more sensitive, and they weren't all you know they about weren't all the sex about drugs you know banging well, groupies the drugs, and stuff like but that. Not the sex. But well, yeah, I, that was the that was the the perception. That was not the reality. Mm-hmm. Do you think these guys didn't get tons of tail? You're freaking stupid. And when I was reading that article you sent, uh, Dean DeLeo said the song. In the Light by Led Zeppelin, which happens to be one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs, had a direct influence on the main riff in this song. So I thought that was pretty cool because I had to go back and actually listen to both to find that. He was gardening and he said he heard that song like it, like coming from inside the house or from a car or something nearby. And he, but he was hearing it wrong. It just happened, it just happened to you, Keith. You hear a song, but you hear it wrong because you're not quite hearing it right and it, and it sounds like something else and it kind of inspires you to come up with an idea. That's happened to me in the past too. Yeah. And you go, oh, I heard a song oh. today. I heard a song today that was basically a slowed down like New Orleans version of uh, For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield. Yeah. And That's the cool. chords, dude, the tab Ben was the guitar player. Oh, yeah, I know he is. Yeah. And the chords to it sound like a slowed down version of, of all things Dirty Deeds by ACDC. Well, there you are. So sometimes that happens, but yeah, I did. Yeah, I read that. That was a that really was, interesting. That was a really cool fact. Uh, this is usually the closer at the shows, and they did extend it for a few of the tours because Scott Weiland liked to get naked on stage, so he would strip naked to the extended version of the jam of this song and wrap the lower half of his body in an American flag in true rocker American fashion. <laughs> I did have to ask a couple of the musicians this weekend not to get naked on the stage, so that's what, what? reminded me of that. Yes. <laughs> um. But it's, a, it's also been covered by Velvet Revolver, of course, Evanescence, Fuel Papa Roach, Theory of a Dead Man. And Weird Al Yankovic used part of it in his uh, The Alternative Polka song. <laughs> so, good stuff. Any <laughs> any uh, comments on sex type thing, Keith? 
Yeah, I think the lyrics are, um, from what I read in that article, the Rolling Stone article, which is, you know, amazing that Rolling Stone actually wrote something useful. Um, <laughs> um, sometimes things aren't taken, you know, lyric, lyrics aren't taken uh, the right way sometimes. You could probably take do 10 podcasts on that. But I think this song was about, you know, his, you know, surviving band members saying that he just didn't really like the way sometimes people... There were like men talk down to women and he would sometimes almost pick fights with people with time in places and he just didn't like women being talked down to and it's it is it is the lyrics are taken probably out of context but i mean it's it, you know at, at first listen or hundredth listen i mean it sometimes it does sound the wrong way but it's uh it's a catchy song i think it's uh one of the songs that's overplayed uh but i still think that it's a it's a strong song and it has that like it borders on that sort of like grunge hard rock kind of vibe and uh you know definitely uh they were probably you know cast some cast some checks on that one so um uh, eric kretz said not everything is literal in reference to the lyrics so just that's kinda, pretty much it yeah, keep it. that well, put you that have in those people that just yeah that, yeah, yeah there's people that can't wait to you know jump on something so let's move right along guys because the next one it was a song that is uh i mean this is like kind of very definitive song of theirs, Wicked Garden. Yeah. So, what do you got, Lily? It was one of their biggest hits, but it never had, like, a commercial single. It was just, like, a radio promo, which was kind of cool. Um, Scott Weiland stated that Wicked Garden is a song about people allowing their innocence and purity to be lost in their lives. Uh, they did perform a, an acoustic version of Wicked Garden on MTV Unplugged in 93, which I had to go back and look at because I didn't see it at the time it came out. Um... It is a fantastic version, though, so I do suggest going and see it. You can find it anywhere. And they also performed the song on The Late Show with David Letterman in 93 and in 2013 during the K-Rock Weenie Roast as the surprise superstar band of the evening. Wow. <laughs> so yay, Weenie Roast. I do love this song. I said this might be my favorite, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was an early song for the DeLeos. Robert and Dean were, uh, you know, just kind of a lick, you know, kind of something he had that they had sort of floating around for a long time. By the way, before they were, little interesting fact, before they were Stone Temple Pilots, they were Mighty, Mighty, they were Mighty, Mighty Joe, Joe Young. Young. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, surprised to, I was surprised to find out that Dean DeLeo was not the original guitar player. Yeah, I read that too. <clears throat> so, who was the original guitar player? You want to talk about that for a second? I don't I don't remember his name. Something, Hickok, maybe Wild Bill. I don't know. It was, it was a friend of Scott, <laughs> of Scott Wyland's, and he basically... Was a, from what Dean DeLeo says, he was a good rhythm guitar player, but didn't have the proficiency to do. I think Corey. I'm paraphrasing here. He didn't have the proficiency to play lead, so they asked they asked Dean to come in and do some lead work on a couple of the songs. And next thing you know, that kid's out of the band, and Dean's the guitar player. So well, it helped that his brother was in the band as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that don't that don't hurt. Yeah, that that doesn't hurt. Do you guys know how Scott got into the band in the first place? I don't. Uh, him and uh, he met Robert DeLeo right, at a shit. Black Flag concert, huh. Black Flag sh- concert show. Yeah, probably in some shithole club. I can't remember where it was. And um, they were talk. They were both bragging about their girlfriends to each other. <laughs> and it turned out, oh my god, it was the same girl. They were dating it? the same ah! girl. <laughs> That's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
And uh, if you guys see, if you guys need to get on my mailing list because I sent this out in the email yesterday, um, and uh, and and they had like a kind of like it be, instead of it turning into a fist fight, it became a kind of like laugh and bonding experience between the two guys, and they became friends very quickly. That's great. Yeah. So over. <laughs> so so that's that's how it got started. They were they were banging the same chick. Uh, yes, I said banging the same chick. Uh, so Keith, you want to? Uh, um, are we done with Wicked Garden? You want to want something else, or you have something else you want to talk about on Wicked I think Garden? Wicked Garden is actually one of those songs that I think. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a hit though. I mean, it was like one of them songs where you know they had I think some some airplay with it, but I mean, out of the out of the the big three on the sex type thing, plush and creep. I mean, it's the Wicked Garden probably the distant fourth, but it definitely has that commercial sensibility that I think you know band try to capture in a good rock song and I think it's a cool song I think it uh listen to Eric Kretz talk about it in the beginning he does like a you know at the beginning and the end he does like a little 80s nod to 80s drumming and uh does a little like mini solo thing between the between the hits and uh I think it's, it's, it's a cool song it definitely has a cool riff and uh, it definitely has a uh Stone Temple Pilots Stone Temple Pilots vibe to it man so yeah it's, it's got that it's, some, yeah it's very melodic I love yeah, that. some I love songs that. on this album I think just captured their sound. Um, the next song on the album is this very short little piece that they wrote as a kind of s- s- squeegee between, uh, like, to get into "Sin," which is a song after, and it's just a little guitar ditty um, called "No Memory." And there's not any. And you have, I don't really have anything on the. The only album. thing that it, it was was Scott and. Um... <clears throat> Dean would like when they were living together. Dean would just like be jamming on the guitar, and they would like constantly be writing like these melancholy things. And they said, "Hey, great segue." <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> pretty that, much is how that went. <laughs> that, that's all. This is a segue <laughs> into. You have any comments on No Memory, Keith? Yeah, I think on the uh, in the article I read, Brendan O'Brien was like, "We still need like a couple more, like something to fill out the album a little bit more." And uh, Dean DeLeo had this in his in his vault somewhere, we'll say, and he pulled it out. And they kind of worked on it for a while, and it's just—it's a, and it's almost like that. It's like a, you know, bringing you know, a pre- prepping you for the next song. Almost and like it could be going to the second side if we still had, you know. Uh, all, it's a very <laughs> classic rock thing to do. If you think about it, there's a lot of things that like a lot of bands from the 70s did. There was always like a little interlude or something like that. It was a very common thing. So it's kind yeah, of a fun kind of throwback kind of vibe. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, I'll probably say this, you know, more than I want to tonight, but I just can't help myself. It's a very Jimmy Page thing, you know, it's kind of that Jimmy Page yeah. vibe to it. Well, that's the first time you said it, and we're only 20, we're, we're 29 minutes into it, so you did pretty good. Oh, that's pretty good, and I'm, I'm, I'm impressed <laughs> with myself, not to mention the word. Every time I say the word Led Zeppelin or Jimmy Page, you at home must drink a shot. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Lord Jesus. I guess we're going to die. Uh, okay, so <laughs> the next one, as I hinted at, was Sin. Uh, you want to go ahead? Um, Speaking of Sin, Lily. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this is all about me right now. Uh, Scott Weiland wrote the lyrics based on uh, the bass players, uh, Rob DeLeo's bad, bad relationships with women. Um it's said that many of uh, Wyland's lyrics are obviously personal, personal, but he also writes them about his uh, bandmates as well. Um, this one, and, and this is obviously the one that's channeled through uh, Rob. Um, he said that uh, Rob said in an interview that uh, looking back on the song, it was Russian inspired, 
which is appropriate because Alex Lifeson was one of his role models, so that's one of the band's favorite to play because they all love Rush anyway. And there it is. <laughs> wow. I mean, at the end of the day, who doesn't love Rush besides Lily? Besides Lily. Actually, I know a lot of people who don't like Rush. <laughs> we Shame on them all. Wow. I think that I will concur with the fact that <laughs> this is what I read also is one of their or was one of their favorite songs to play live. They they liked this song that much where they would just love to play it live. I can see that, though. That seems like a fun one to play. I mean, I don't play, but if I did... My my, my two cents on the song is that this is a step up from a lot of the songs on the record. I think it sounds more mature than a lot of the, more, the songs on the record. It has a very cool breakdown in it. It has... Uh, has energy, but it also has a lot of, it's melodic, it has great dynamics, and I think that this song is, it, it, this one could have been a radio smash, I think, but. We don't get to pick those, unfortunately. That's just me. It's uh, kind of long, I think it's the longest track on the album, isn't this one, it's about six minutes? No, where the river flows is like eight minutes. Is that longer? Change. Okay. Um, <laughs> I want to read a quote from uh, Eric Kretz about this song. Um, when Atlantic Records A&R man Tom Carolyn came to see us at a really dingy club in Hollywood, we played it. I remember there were 30 people in there that night, maybe 20, and that's not the optimal night for an A&R chief from Atlantic Records to come see you. But we played it like it was the last day on earth. It was just like, we got to do this. We opened the show with Sin, because I think we wrote it that day or maybe the day before at rehearsal. Scott didn't have any lyrics for it or anything. I think we just kind of did the intro for about 40 seconds as an opener, but it was something that we were proud of, and Tom loved it. So it was an instrumental in getting them the attention of uh, Atlantic Records. So that just goes to show, and, and there's a great, I, I love what he says. He said, we played it like it was the last, our last day on earth. That is, uh, that's what you got to do, guys. I don't care if there's only 20 people in the audience. You got to play your music like it's the last day on earth, like it's the biggest show ever. Always throw your balls out there, right? I don't have those, but okay. That's how you got to do it, brother. <laughs> I've had many last days on Earth. <laughs> Let's get to the next track. What is it? Naked? Naked Sunday. What? Yep. What's wrong with these guys? Well, every Sunday is a naked Sunday, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> every Sunday is a naked. Keith, is every Sunday a naked Sunday for you? Hell no. <laughs> I guess that's just me. I'm alone in my principles. Lily's having that. Lily, I used to have a party at Lily's next Sunday. Huh? Every Sunday, there's a party at Lily's. I'm going to go I... home and write that hit song on my alone in my principles. <laughs> I hate you. There you go. I know, goes. I know what that's write from. That hit song alone in my principles. I know what that's from because I said it on purpose. <laughs> that thing you do. Anyway, this. the song came very late in the process of the album. Um, started out as a rehearsal room jam. And... Um, <sighs> Rob said he was doing an R&B, James Brown kind of thing on the bass. Scott was going for the flailing, crazy Jim Morrison type guy that he loves to do because he really definitely channels him on stage and through his singing. Um, and they wanted to be very tripped out vocally. It was a good energetic song, especially for the time of the 90s grunge kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Is it actually about God? I keep seeing that plus other things. I don't know if it's actually about God, but everybody's saying I don't know. I read God. it was like Swatland was going for that whole like you know kind of preacher on a soapbox okay. kind of thing. That's what he even said in that article where he's just because he even has that like preacher breakdown at towards the end, and it definitely it has some energy. The song's definitely a rocker. Um, it has a cool like drum intro, it has some effects on it, and it just comes in and it's just it's a balls to the wall song. And uh, what you know what what I say, arts up into arts, you know, in, 
interpretation up to interpretation. It can mean whatever the hell you want it to mean. I can't you know? even ask Scott, so I don't know. <laughs> this is true. So we don't even know. I didn't see anything on an interview with him with that song, so I couldn't tell you what he interpreted it as. So. Uh, the <laughs> next song is the first like real ballad. Maybe the only real ballad on the album. Um, Plush is a kind of mid-tempo song, but this is really kind of the real ballad on the album, and it is Creep, which uh, I still don't un- know. I still don't understand half the lyrics, but um, Creep was one of these like, and uh, what signature songs of the '90s? What's so funny is there are two giant songs from the '90s called Creep. Oh, this yeah. one and the, uh, and the one by Radiohead. Yeah, Radiohead. Yep. <laughs> so I uh, just found, and I don't know who did whose whose was first. Was Radiohead? What about the one from TLC? Okay, it, that one doesn't even count. <laughs> um, was uh, was this song before? The Radiohead song, wow, or was the Radiohead song? First? I don't know. I, I think that it actually was because I think Pablo Honey came out in '93, so you know you could double check that. But if this album came out in '92, it might have beat it by a year, so or even a couple months, depending on the time it was released. Yeah, this so was released in know. September, right? Yeah, so yeah, we're looking at it less than a year, we'll say. So I think I do think Pablo Honey came out in '93, and Creep was on that. So it's a uh, that's just my guess. All you smart people at home, let me know if I'm wrong. That is, um, well, Cree, I, the, the, I, I'm going to let you get into this, Keith. <clears throat> oh, by the way, that, let's jump from Jimmy Page. But Creep, <laughs> but Creep by uh, Radiohead, they they won't even play that song any like live. They hate that song. Um, so, Keith, why don't you go ahead and uh, talk about Creep for a second? Since it's your favorite song in the album. I'm kidding. I don't know if it is. Could have dog it. I think every band needs that slow, mellow song. I mean, to quote the dudes on the... Uh, you ever see the movie The Stone Days? Everybody, every band needs that one pussy song. So, ah. uh, it's, um, and it, you know, for in that movie, it was, it was Don't Fear the Reaper by B.O.C., but uh, that's a whole other thing. Um, but that song, I think, definitely has a... What Dean DeLeo would say has some, like, cowboy chords in it, and it's a... Uh, it's definitely a song that I think probably got them to catch a lot of checks i mean it's it's radio definitely radio friendly um half the man i used to be kind of resonates with people i'm sure um it's a song that i think is did i say it was too overplayed but i'll say it again because it's a song that i think is a, it's a good radio friendly hook song that every band needs and uh, pretty much we'll leave it right there i don't think it's a horrible song but i think it's by far not the it's probably one of them songs that eventually, if Scott Weiland was still alive, that he wouldn't want to do anymore. But I'm not him. Then again, he was he was a smackhead. So who knows? <laughs> he was a smackhead. Who knows? He did it every show I went to. So um, there you go. I think that um, it's a. Uh, I think it's a beautiful song. I think that the lyrics are very kind of mysterious, and I always sort of felt like I was in a kind of a David Lynch film. When the when I would hear the song, because of what is it? What are they talking about? Everybody run! Bobby's got a gun. Like what's happening here? Um, it has well, nothing- that, lyric, that lyric was described in the uh, in the Rolling Stone article as Scott wrote that about Robert moving to California at the age of eighteen and living a lot of life in five years. Maybe, Maybe. actually being shot at. He said, "LOL," but I don't know if they had those little things that when this article was written. But you never know. He said that. He, he lived a lot of life from 18 to like 23, 24, and at three, you know, four or five years when he first moved to to California, and Wyland just kind of went with that. So I always sort of like pictured something out of the movie Lost Highway 
whenever I whenever I would hear this song. Um, yeah, but this was uh, just there's just it's just got a great atmosphere to it. What I tr- what I tried to do with it when I went back and listened to it was like try to listen to it with fresh ears and not go like oh my god this song or that song is so overplayed because when it came out in '92 it was not overplayed. We hadn't heard it yet. And it was really mind-blowing. This is one of those records. I was in the band Petey Gets Around, and I had long drives to rehearsals in Indiana. And this was one of the CDs I always had in the car with me. Listen to it either on the way there or on the way back, sometimes both. And I just absolutely loved it. But this song always really intrigued me, chills up and down the spine sort of thing. Uh, but go, Lily, you got some you want. You got some Actually, there is an interesting fun fact about this one. Um, there are two music videos shot for Creep. One that was aired by, and I'm going to say it wrong, Graham Joyce, the one we know, and the one that was uh, shot and shelved by Gus Van Zandt, and they will not show that one. I can't even find that one due to its drug and sexual references. Oh, I got to see that. Well, I didn't find I did only look briefly at work today, but I couldn't find it. So maybe you can find it somewhere. I bet you could probably find it on a torrent site. What I'd like to do is if you can find it, send it, send it to me. Okay. And then what I'll do, guys, if you subscribe to to my uh, mailing list, I'll send it to you. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. I only could look briefly at work today, though, because people actually came into work today. What? Imagine (laughs) that. How dare they? coming into work. They haven't come into work since March, but they'll come in today. Just to bother you, Lily. They do. Bullshit. Don't they know you have a podcast to prep for? What the they the actually do. They ask me about it every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, an interesting fact about the DeLeo brothers, there was a time where they worked across the street from each other. Uh, uh, Robert was working in a guitar shop, and Dean was working, I believe, for some sort of modeling agency. He was shuttling models back and forth to shoots. Yeah, I read about that. And... Uh, this was this is one of the uh, riffs that they uh, worked worked on during that period. And if Dean would think of something, he would run across the street on a like a, a catch a break, run across the street and say, "Hey, Robert, get a guitar. <laughs> we got to work this out real quick." <laughs> so, and th- those of you that are not in bands or anything like that, this is a really exciting period for a band when you're doing your first record and it's and you've got the right crew together and you've got the right guys and you're kind of like one of the quote one of the comments that the guy said that they with the reason they knew that this was going to be good was because they were sort of like um kind of getting each other off with the music they were so somebody would play something they'd be so into it and they'd be really excited and they kind of had that feeling that this is going to be really 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 good and that's a really exciting those of you out there who are in music know exactly what i'm talking about those of you aren't well that's how it is that's how you have that excitement and you have that feeling that like something really good is going to happen here and that these guys had that making this go ahead keith keith keith, keith i used to have that thermal. feeling constantly up until recently then the epidemic hit or the pandemic hit and now i would turn in that feeling to play fucking brown eyed girl for tip <laughs> jar and if i had to do that that's good enough right now you know if i gotta do food home alabama i'll take requests it doesn't matter um, You'd probably yeah, I remember, the, I remember those days of being you. in like original bands where people would make, they would get, you know, they'd make up riffs and they would show it to you or tape it and send it to you or give you a cassette, showing my age, a cassette of it, go write something to this. And that was, uh, yeah, that's those were the days, man. That's, that's pretty awesome. Good stuff. All right. They uh, sat. Um, Bill they- Damiano said he'd already be dead if we did shots. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> they did. Uh, this, this is recorded with them all sort of sitting in a circle. 
And for the most part, it's one take live in the studio. And how many bands do that today? Oh, none. For Almost sure. none. That's called being a freaking musician, kids. When you get when this podcast is over, go home and practice. You're listening to Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. You want to get more information, please uh, check us out at lulombardirocks.com. Shout out to our good friends at Wolf's Customs. Go to wolfscustoms.online. Get a custom paint job on your guitar. And thank you, Rock Rage Radio, for being our friend and playing the podcast for all your listeners. We do appreciate it. Peace of pie. Peace of pie. And next song, peace of pie. I have nothing to say about this song. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> Other than I know it's um, songs. It's a combo of a couple earlier songs that were pieced together. One in particular was Hence Only Dying. the title, Piece of Pie. That's all I got. Bob Merson, Chris Underwolf Dodson. What's up? Um, Chris says that you have old man pubes on your old man chin pubes. Who said that? Chris. Thund- Chris. Thunderwolf. <laughs> You ain't right, son. You ain't right, son. Funny guy. Piece of pie. So let's talk about piece of pie. Let me tell you about piece of pie. Tell us about piece of pie. Has a freaking monster riff in it. Listen to it. This is one of them songs I think gets lost in the record. I'm listening to it again. Even they said when they cranked this up in the studio on some big ass speakers, they said this is what our music could sound like. This was, you know, kind of a Frankenstein mishmash of some songs they had laying around, and they kind of put them together. I, I really think this song is strong, man. It's it's it, it. This is probably one of the songs that could be lumped in with the grunge thing. But the, the, this is a really cool riff. It has some. It has a lot of attitude. It's, it's heavy. It's got that. You know. It's just. It's a really good song. I mean, what else can I say? Uh, this I don't was... think it's a filler song. I think this song would be up there for me. I would be like, all right, this song could make kids want to like probably smash into each other and break some heads and you know. Mm. Bosh it up a little bit, you know. These are did some of these bands are, you know, like once again, we could say that some of these bands are like borderline metal with some of these songs, you know. Um, this was a song written with their or uh, originally recorded with uh Corey Hickok, their original Scott's friend who was the original guitar player. And, uh, and it, this is one of those times where they brought Dean to play, came in to play on it, and it was just painfully obvious that Dean was actually the right <laughs> guitar player, even though. Even though Corey was Scott's friend, and it happens, guys, right? Anybody's out there who's been if in a band knows that, like, a person for you've got band. somebody in the band, you go, like, it's not working out, and there's a guy waiting in the wings, and you just feel like an asshole, but <clears throat> you, know, you got to do what's best for the music. Let's talk about Plush. 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 Second single from the album, Songs Chord Structure. The Chord Structure, which I know nothing about, but I liked reading about it. Was uh, and I loved reading about all of DeLeo's stuff that he did with these songs, but it was because of his love of ragtime music. And um, apparently, it was loosely based on a newspaper article Scott Weiland had read about a girl who had been found dead after have, after have, having been kidnapped in the 1990s. Um, also, a metaphor for a failed relationship, I guess. Uh, number one on all kinds of lists. This is the, one of their biggest songs. Um, they have spun this song 133,000 times in the decade of the 90s. That's how popular this song yeah. was. And, so. uh, and there's a, a very well-received acoustic version yes. of it, too. And this is one of those songs I think really kind of like begged for an acoustic version. Like MTV, That made sense. MTV Music Awards, would they win a Grammy mm-hmm. for this, too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> that that song, that, that, that unplugged version, MTV unplugged version of it, probably catapulted this song. And you're getting that major radio airplay because this song has been played so many freaking times. I think it is the perfect radio 
song. I mean, it's just got that. It's got a hook. The, the lyrics are cool. It's got that nice, you know, it's got some nice breaks in it. Uh, I uh, think this one could appeal know. to everyone. Yeah, it's it's not so it's not heavy where it could like, you know, be like, you know, intrusive to your, you know, your ears like, oh, shit, I don't want to hear that one mm-hmm. no more. But uh, it's it's got a cool guitar chords in it. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know what exactly well, the let, chord he's playing. The, the chord's a little odd sounding. Well, but what, he's, what, he, what he's doing is, and it's really like, it's almost like kind of a jazz thing. He created, <clears throat> the way he voices the chords is, they create a, a chromatic descending bass line. So it goes from G to F sharp to F to E to E flat. Yeah, that's all. Those aren't the chords he's playing, but those are the invert. The, the, he creates the bass line and then plays chords that work diatonically in the key that he's playing in, and it's brilliant. It's really a good, really a great piece of guitar music. Um, it was something that when I taught lessons, we always worked on because it. it you learn so much about chords and everything by learning that song. Really important song. <clears throat> uh, just one of those great classic rock songs. It's a great guitar song. Definitely, if you're a guitar player, you're learning get the guitar, learn that song. You'll, you'll get a lot out of it. Um, we are getting low on time. Uh, so let's try to quickly, let's get through Wet My Bed. <laughs> Interesting song. That wasn't a request, <laughs> Lily. <laughs> I never wet my bed. Come on. This is where Scott is very Jim Morrison like, yes, though. This is the um, yes. It's, yeah, I mean, a, like, I don't even know thing. how else to even describe that. But if you listen closely, you can hear them whispering in the background. They say something at the end of the song. You can even hear, if you listen super close, lighting cigarettes and the paper actually burning. That's how strange this song is. I don't even know how to. I don't know what else to say. It's about the it. only track on this. It's the only album, song on the album I could do without. It's just. I odd. like them all, but this, like, I would like. I listened to it a couple of times, and then usually on the CD, I would just skip to. the Well, next it's only song. ninety-six seconds. So, yeah. You know, you can I couldn't it. take it for ninety-six <laughs> seconds. Any it's, com- it's definitely Jim Morrison on Doors. Keith? It's Ode to the Doors. I mean, his, uh, you know, definite his, influence yeah. on you know him when with Jim Morrison is you know established in the song, even though it's a very quick song. I think it's uh, it's definitely a filler, and it's uh, one of them songs that just kind of just it is what it is, man. Cracker man, cracker man, cracker man does whatever a cracker can't. So I've read like a hundred things about people saying this is about a drug dealer, but when I was reading that article, it said it was about a gentleman that they knew who was homeless called the Cracker Man, who he would talk. Scott Weiland would walk, get his breakfast every day, talk to the man, give him food, and this song supposedly about this gentleman. So. It was spawned from that. Seeing this guy every day for several months, I hope, you know, nothing real bad happened to him. Probably did. Um, He's so, probably like <laughs> a rich executive somewhere right now. Uh, Rob said that this was another sort of piece together song, and uh, they did some, he said they did some R&B with a little King Crimson twist. So, Any com- what, do you, what do you have to say about Cracker Man? I think it sounds like they're, you know, kind of, they're kind of bag. I mean, it's definitely them probably playing live in a room and just getting that. I don't hear any King Crimson in that. I don't hear any freaking, I mean, whatever they're saying, I don't hear any of that shit. <laughs> I mean, so, I took I mean, it from the band. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm just, I'm, I read the same thing. That's why when, when you said that, I'm like, I read the same thing. I don't hear any freaking King Crimson in that. It sounds like a straight ahead, it sounds more like a Ramones tune. It sounds like a straight ahead punk tune. Yeah. But it, it's got, a, he's, it's another one that I, when I've seen him live many moons ago, he was using the megaphone and he probably, did, I think they might've did a version of it with Velvet Revolver. I don't know. My, my ears were bleeding, so I don't remember. But um, it's just one of those things where I think I did read in the same article where it's that they 
even the minute they they that was their sound you know what i mean that was what they were going for and that's what they achieved and it is about a homeless man from what i understand too and as keith mentioned earlier where the river goes is the longest track over eight minutes on the album and keith while you're while you're hitting it why don't you talk a little bit about it well, first, I think this song is once again a very Zeppelin-esque song. I think that if you listen to the song, the drum intro is very John Bonhamish. Uh, it's definitely Eric Kretz is definitely uh, you know, worshiping at the altar of Bonham with this uh, this intro. I think the 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 melodic parts of the uh, the guitar are definitely Jimmy Page inspired, and I think that the song is a very good song. And but I could see where you know. It would never it's too it's way too freaking long to be a radio song and it's pretty much where it belongs towards the end of the album but then again atlantic records wanted plush to be their first single released and they refused so they put it ninth on purpose from what i read too just to make it buried in the record so it's one of those things but i i think this song shows there's a maturity process going on in this record it just in that one record you can go from a song like cracker man where they're playing more simple and then they write something like that. So I don't know what the, you know, where the whole like order of songs were written, but I mean, where the, where the river goes is a, is a more mature sounding song to me. And it has a uh, lot of cool melodic parts in it. But it, like I said, it being eight and some change, I mean, you're not going to get any play like that, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's on, it's on the record and it's the last song. On the record. And it's a great rock jam, dude. It it's is a very a really, good song. I mean, it's I, excellent. It's, like, even though it's long, like, don't let that discourage you. <laughs> you should check it out. Lily, you got some any, anything uh, you want to talk about on Just this? that also the names is very Zeppelinish where the river goes and it 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 is where it belongs on the album. There they could I don't think they could put that anywhere else and people still be interested in continuing. Yeah, you can put that shit so. first and then be like, it's next. It's like all right, we're done here. <laughs> so that's all I have. I don't know. I don't know about that. It's too long. I don't know. Wouldn't bother me. Wait, this ain't the 1960s, Lou. Nobody's gonna let an eight minute and some chain song be on the radio because no one has the attention. I didn't say it was gonna be on the radio. I didn't say that, but I I, I think it's a good song. But nobody's. I mean, people can barely get it through. You know, uh, shake it off at this point. Uh, This was the first song that they wrote uh, with Dean uh, when he joined the band. That's why it's more mature sounding. (laughs) Very mature. So. I just want to add that uh, back to the um, reception of the album, because I didn't get to say it before, and I think it's interesting. Uh, They were voted both Rolling Stone's best new band by readers and worst new band by critics in the January 94 issue. Yeah. Same issue. Thought that was interesting. really funny. Critics said no. Readers said go F yourself. It's so (laughs) funny. Like, how many times critics have been totally wrong? Wrong. I heard a... um, (laughs) I listened to this. I, 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 I listen to the pop. Ah, <laughs> I was. Uh, I follow this YouTube channel called Charisma on Command, and the guy today was talking about something. That he says he says every time I some fad or something happens, it becomes insanely popular, and I think people are stupid for following it or getting into it. I realize that I'm the one who's stupid. <laughs> okay, um, and I think that we. It's. I think it's really like a good kind of lesson because if this is really grabbing a lot of people, and I. I'm not talking about something like Gangnam Style or something like that that is a kind of a That's novelty definitely a thing. Fad. This is a whole album that, you know, a real rock band wrote and recorded and put their, you know, heart and soul into. 
to, to have it written off like that, I just think that, like, I think it was not what critics wanted to hear at the time. It was probably, they felt it was too, uh, too, thro- too much of a throwback. They, they probably thought it was too similar they, to what was going they on. Didn't, they didn't. No, they thought it was too much of a throwback. They didn't like the fact that it sounded like rock and roll. They felt that that was up, <laughs> so over. Very Lester Bangs kind of attitude, right, Keith? Mm-hmm. You know, Lester Bangs was. Do you remember yes, in Almost Famous? Like he was like, ah, oh, rock is so, Rick, rock Lester, is dead. You ro- came ra- along at the wrong time. Yeah, that's what uh, Lester Bangs thought. Rock was dead in 1968. Um, <laughs> well, clearly he's a genius. You know, but. Um, and and it's, and it's like I said, I I told you that the statement I heard like from Saturday Night Live when this record came on, I was really like, what? Uh, but why well, I remember hearing this record, and today when you hear this record, it sounds completely at home, right next to like like you could play, they could play a what? They could play an Alice in Chains song, and then. You could sandwich this between Alice in Chains and Van Halen on a rock station, and it would fit perfect. You know, it doesn't sound like anything like, you know, it sounds just like a like a great rock album with like younger guys who were really excited about Led Zeppelin and the Doors and that kind of music. And they were like putting their kind of younger kind of uh, spin on it. What do you what do you think about that, Keith? I, I mean, I think that's, it's a great rock and roll record. I think it's our best record. They made some other ones that were good, but I think this one by far eight million, eight million copies and probably more than that, but eight million ish copies they sold. Not too bad. I think that um, that's just by far is their best record to me, and I would take this shit over some Pearl Jam record any day. Legit. Yeah, I would too. And and to compare them to Pearl Jam, I think is really. I don't uh, hate Pearl Jam, but I just think that they're. Un- it's uncreative. not the same thing. Well, it's not the same thing at all. They're not well, doing Pearl the- Jam's boring to me. <clears throat> As you can see, our next month's album uh, will be a Pearl Jam album. I'm just kidding. Not. <laughs> no, no, nobody here in the room is a big is a big Pearl Jam fan, and uh, I, I I don't would, hate them. I just think that they're they're another band that they're probably overrated. like like ST people like STP STP's first record was the pinnacle of their career. I don't think they sucked after that. I just think they just never could. It's hard to duplicate that kind of masterpiece. And I think that Pearl Jam's first two records were good. I'm not saying they're great. They were good. But I think after that, they just regurgitated the same shit for, I don't know how many, they have like 20 freaking albums at this point. I don't want to hear no more of them. <laughs> they won't go away. <laughs> They're like cockroaches. <laughs> yeah. I, you kill one and it comes back. <laughs> um, the only thing cool about that band is Eddie Vedder is a big Cubs fan like me. That's all. Um, That's all. I want to give a weird. You guys have been listening to Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Go If you haven't listened to Core in a long time, go check it out. It's a great album. Uh, one more thing I go before we wrap up today, I just want to give a shout out. It is Greg Lake's birthday. Happy birthday, English bassist, guitarist, singer, Speaking songwriter Greg Lake. Work with King Crimson, Emerson Lake, and Palmer. Um, so we're so not worthy, dude. <laughs> Happy birthday, Greg. You're a badass. Um, Wolfscustoms.online. Check them out. And shout out to Rock Rage Radio. If you love what we do, please go to LulombardiRocks.com. Get more information. Why have a mailing list and a Facebook group and all kind of cool stuff. So you guys can check that out there. Lily, you do a thing. I do do a thing. It's Hot Licks with Lily Six Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It is a radio show before anybody says anything else about it. <laughs> it's, it's not her OnlyFans account. <laughs> it's not my OnlyFans. You have to message me later for that um however 
I was supposed to go to Phil Lewis this Saturday. Guess that's not happening now. Postponed. So hopefully we'll figure out something to do this weekend. A- any interviews or anything on your show this week? Nothing or? this week. Mm-hmm. Nope. Download the app for free. Go to rockridgeradio.com. Yeah, check out rockrageradio.com. Get the app. Great rock 24-7. Keith, anything you want to add before we uh, wrap up for today, my brother, my brother, my brother? We, we ain't got time to rank them. Uh, you want to rank them real quick? Go ahead. No, uh, I mean, I just be- wanted to say that uh, I thought my number one was Sin. I think Sin is a great song. I think it's a very mature song, and, uh, you know, I did rank them, but, I mean, if we don't have time, then do don't it. worry about do it. Do it. Do it. We got a minute. Do it, do it quick and dirty. Okay, that's my favorite. Let me see. <laughs> Can't. Wow. All right, so number 12 was No Memory because I don't have no memory of that song anyway. Wet My Bed was 11 because that's really just her filler tunes. Um, and uh, people might hate me for this. Number 10 was Creep because I just hear that shit too much. Number 9 was Sex Type Thing because I hear it too much. Number 8, actually, which I really like the song, but I just don't think it's as strong as the other ones I'm going to put. Dead and Bloated, which is a great lead-off song. It's still number eight on the on the record. That shows you how good the record is. Wicked Garden is number seven. I like the song, but it, like again, it's just not as good as the rest of them. Six is Cracker Man because I think it captured what they sounded like. Listen to Vaseline, other songs that came after that, and uh, you'll see. Number five, Naked Sunday, got us like the energy of the song. Number four is Plush. Even though it's not my favorite song on the record, I think it is a true commercial masterpiece. Three is Piece of Pie because I think that riff is just monster. Two is where the river flows because that shows you maturity as a band. And number one is Sin. So Sin and Where the River Flows are, to me, songs that are way miscast on this record, but I think are a killer. The fillers are the killers, my friends. Um, and that's what I got to say. And that's my two cents. No change. Back. I want to I want to think I think it's a great list, Keith. And we had a little dis. We, I, I'm not sure why we disagreed then over where the river goes. Because I said it could have been somewhere else on the album. You're like, nobody wants to hear that. So I'm a little shocked that you put that as your number two. It's just good word. I, it is. I, 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 we were talking about the, the order of the album. Okay. I think all right. All right. Could, I got you. You now. couldn't have put it. I'm, we're not talking about the strength of the song. We didn't get into that. So if, if I mis, misled you on that, Mr. LL, <laughs> um, you need to know that I think the song is great. But I don't think that you could put an eight minute and some chain song into like at the beginning of a album where you're trying to sell a record because nobody gives a shit. All right. Uh, so that... you bury it towards the end like you would some really depressing song like Plush. Who the hell wants to hear that? But 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 you're missing out if you don't listen to the end, guys, because Where the River Goes is a great track. Legit. Despite the, get, look, grow, it's just grow, long. grow an attention span. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Growing attention span. Keith, thank you, my brother. It was good hanging out with you. Are we going to stick around, or are we or are we cutting it short tonight? I got a, I got a few minutes. You got a few Wait, minutes. hold on a minute. Samantha, yeah. what are you doing? All right, guys, we're going to rock out. Hey, guys, you take care. Have a great week. We'll catch you on the next Ludini Rock and Roll Circus.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.